0: Showbiz is my life. And uh, no matter how many times you rehearse, folks, for all you singers out there that had your big opening all planned and you came out there and somebody forgot to turn the microphone on or the fucking lights blew out, uh, I feel ya. My name is Steve Rennie. I am the Red Man, and this little program is called Red Man Live. Folks, tell me, are we streaming? Is it streaming? Go check it out, man. I think we're ready to go. We are streaming. Ah, uh, uh, We are streaming. That voice you hear, we're going to introduce you to in a moment here. Thanks, Joe. He's being a real manager already. Um, For you folks that might have just stumbled upon us and wonder, who is this old freaking guy? My name is Steve Rennie. I'm the Renn Man. I'm a longtime music professional. Now, I'm spending my time trying to help this next generation of artists and music professionals find their way around this wacky music business. And we do it with this little show called Renn Man Live, where I attempt to to uh, introduce you to and give you a chance to chat and network with some of the smartest, most talented people in the music business. And we've had quite a few so far. We're going to have another one here today. You know, we talk a lot about uh, this idea of networking when you're just getting started in the music, but even if you've been around as long as I have. Um, my son, Matt Rennie, who's quite the networker himself, uh, met a young gentleman at a recent uh, EDM festival down in San Diego, California. And so I was in my office one day recently, and uh, my son poked his head and said, I want you to meet my friend Joey uh, from Chicago. And uh, we had a great time talking about the business. And so I come to find doing a little homework that Joey Paputis is uh, the manager of one of the hottest new uh, electronic acts out there in the business today called Lewis the Child and manages a couple other acts. He started a management company. And so I thought it'd be fun to talk with him today uh, because as we were discussing this morning, if you want to do something big in the music business, you've got to have a great attitude. And my attitude is called fuck the gatekeepers, make something happen because God knows you'll have plenty of obstacles along the way. So on take two, Joey, you ready? I'd like to introduce I'm my ready. friend, Mr. Joey Paputzis, who, uh, whose company, uh, Prospect Artists in Chicago, is making some big things happen. And I wanted you to talk with him here today, ladies and gentlemen. Would you please welcome Joey P. from Chicago? There he is. All right. <laughs> Everything working out there, folks? You working? All right. Uh, love that. Let me see if I can get us in the screen together. Whoops! Now I'm not in there. <laughs> oh God! This is all. Fun stuff. Hey Joey! First of all, I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the show today and uh, taking the time to, to be here. Um, you know, I've asked everybody on the show uh, to one the same question. Let me see if I can get us in the same screen. No, it's not going to work today. All right, um, uh, we're going to just get you on Skype. They'll, they'll understand what's going on. Um, when you were sitting in your house thinking about what to do for the rest of your life, Joey. Um, when did you start thinking about making the music business uh, your your full time job?
1: Sure, I mean it started back in high school. I was playing in a band at the time. I was playing bass um, with a couple of my buddies, and you know I kind of took it upon myself to be the manager of the band, figure out where we could record a CD, um, book us some gigs, and that led me to look at music industry programs in college. Um, uh, I found a great one at Syracuse University It was started by Martin Bandier. It was called the Bandier Music Program. And um, so I went to Syracuse as an undergrad. I, I was fortunate and got some great internships and experiences, and then started managing Lewis the Child out of my senior year apartment on uh, on Comstock Avenue. So-
0: Gotta love it. Joey, your parents, you know, must have told you that there was an easier way to make a buck than the music business. Did you take
1: their advice at all? Um, You know, I took some advice, definitely. I mean, I actually, when I came out of school, I was managing Lewis and Child. Um, They were a much smaller act at the time. And my parents were were kind of you know, setting me up for life after music and what if it doesn't work out. So they encouraged me to apply to law school. And the idea was to get into entertainment law, but it it would also be a good fallback plan in case you know, the music scene didn't work out, and then by my second year of law school, um, Lewis started getting booked for some of the bigger music festivals around the country, such as um, Coachella Lollapalooza. and that's kind of when I saw a tipping point of, this thing's got momentum, and I'm just going to, you know, focus all my time on this, and I, I switched my focus from wanting to be an entertainment lawyer to wanting to do artist management full time.
0: Well, it's funny, there are lots of lawyers that have turned managers, record execs and in in, in so forth. So, um, I think the, the, um, the experience you get and the thought process you learn from, from going through legal training is actually great stuff. You mentioned something when we spoke uh, last week and you know, that I wanted to talk about a little bit more. You know, so many folks out there today are, have an ability to go out and, quote, study the music business, right? And you went, as you mentioned uh to uh, Syracuse University, where they had a, you know, one of the top music programs sponsored by a guy by the name of Marty Bandier, who uh, I've had a chance to know Marty for a few years, and uh, I won't waste all my Marty Bandier stories, I'll wait till we get together, but I've got some good ones. Um, when you were studying it, it, uh, music at um, Syracuse, what were the parts of that, were there any things that it, as part of that program that really stuck out for you that you think will actually help you in your music biz career?
1: Sure. I mean, I think the most valuable part of that program w- was kind of the the network it gave you and the the opportunities to intern. I mean, um, I spent a summer interning at Sony ATV in Manhattan. I spent a. a how'd you get that gig? If course. you don't mind me
0: interrupting, because I know everybody's going. Well, how'd you get that gig? Sure.
1: So I mean, it was just asking um, my professors and and you know other students who had done internship, who had completed internships at Sony ATV and. Just asking around, asked for a lead, and someone you know passed along an email address. I submitted my resume and found myself uh, spending a summer in Manhattan.
0: And I suspect it didn't hurt that uh, Mr. Bandier uh, (laughs) runs the joint over there. I love the fact that, you know, Marty Bandier, for you folks at home, he's always been very generous with his time and opportunity. And uh, I love the fact that uh, going to the Bandier School, um, doesn't hurt you when it comes to Sony ATV music. Uh, what'd you learn over there working at a publisher?
1: You know um, I just I got exposed to the publishing world and, and I wasn't really aware going into it that there was this whole other side of the music industry that was songwriters. You know I thought every I you know, probably had this notion that, that a lot of big artists write their own songs when in fact, you know you look at a lot of today's top hits and there's four, five, six. You know, sometimes 10 riders on a track. Um, so I mean, that was kind of the real insight I got. And then just, I made a lot of connections there. Uh, people I still stay in touch with. Some of the A there are, you know, you know, friends of mine, and and I keep up with all those guys. So, yeah, it was it was really just you know learned how to work hard. Learned about a new angle of the business. Um, but I think the most important thing was just getting the contacts out of it and, and keeping those for, for down the line.
0: It's funny, when I was, uh, I was recently loading up my uh, new iPhone with my contacts and saw how many I'd accumulated over the years and been thinking about you coming and you're thinking, like, oh, I wonder how many you get after two or three years in the music business. The the, the punchline is as many as you can get, and working in a, in, in a big place like that is awesome stuff. And for all you folks out there that are watching today, um, publishing is like one of those, the most misunderstood part of the business, but one of the most important. It's really where all the money is long term. So great stuff there. You also mentioned that you got a gig working at Mitchell Silberberg at a big time law firm, which has, has lots of arms and legs in the music and entertainment business. How'd that one come about?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I also spent a semester in Los Angeles interning in Mitchell Silberberg Nup for a Mitchell and up for an attorney named Eric German, mm-hmm. um, who did a ton of, you know, hard rock, active rock stuff at the firm. And that, you know, Eric was such a great mentor for me. He was the guy who really kind of um, got me to consider, uh, you know, applying to law school and and working and trying to go after, you know. In a, a career in entertainment law, um, so that was a really invaluable experience. I, I went out with him a, a ton um, on the Sunset Strip and hung out with his bands, and I thought it was so cool that you know you could be an attorney but also hang out with all these rock bands and negotiate deals for them. So I just that that's what got me hooked on the uh, the idea of being an entertainment lawyer.
0: Uh, I, you mentioned something that's a key word. I was very lucky early in my career to have some great mentors. And um, sometimes you can't plan for it. But I love hearing those stories as you were talking. I was just here smiling, just sitting there thinking, you know, that's how it really works in this business. If you find some people that, that care about you, it makes a huge, huge difference. All right, enough about your background, Joey. Nobody cares about that. They want to hear about your act, Lewis the Child, in, in Weathen and, and forgive, forgive me, the third band again, I'm blanking on. Win and Woo. Win and Woo. Let's so, talk about yeah, like uh, Lewis player. the Child. Um, two young teenagers uh, from Chicago. One of them, I understand, went to USC. Fight on. Who was the guy from USC? That was Robbie. Robbie? Uh, a T- year, yeah. Robbie's, I, I've he seen Robbie. He's too, too small. Robbie, I could send you that. Fuck the gatekeepers. Fight on. I hope he's still a Trojan at heart. Yeah, he'd love um, that. You know, everybody, the easiest job in the world, Joey, to get on paper is to be a manager, right? You don't have you don't have any sure. qualifications. Just say, I'm a fucking manager. But it does require that at some point you actually get an act. And you got your hands on a good one early on. Um, how did you find Lewis the Child, or did they find you? Tell us.
1: Sure. So I credit my younger brother, Andrew. Um, he was in school with the Lewis the Child guys. I was a second semester senior at the time at Syracuse. Um, had no idea what I was going to do post-graduation. I, I was interested in law school, but didn't really have any kind of job lined up. And um, the one thing I noticed about all the kind of success stories that came out of the music industry program at Syracuse is that these were guys who, who tended to take the entrepreneurial route and you know make it happen for themselves, as opposed to uh, you know going and, and trying to get a, an assistant job somewhere. And Andrew, my younger brother, started sending me all these you know, links to demos from, from two of his high school buddies named Lewis the Child. guys were uh, 15 and 16 years old at the time. And I just, I thought it was, I thought it was good music. So I, I sent it to some of my friends who were working in electronic. Um, they confirmed. They were like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of raw talent here. It needs to be polished. And, but, you know, it, there's something here. And at the time, I think they had 200 fans on Facebook and, you know, maybe a 1,000 plays on their SoundCloud account. Um, and then it, I just, you know, talked to the guys and uh, said, hey, I want to manage you guys and, you know, let, let me oh, ask yeah. you
0: about that because, you know, again, this is a question I get asked a million times, you know. People go, so how do I get a client, Steve? Should I put a contract? Sure. Remember, how does that all work? Um, and, you know, and the, and the biggest problem, I think, for a lot of young people that are starting in the business is that if you look at the top managers in the business, you know, typically they have a lot of experience and they're broad experience. They've sure. worked in two or three different areas of the business. Uh, I was saw one of my friends, Jim Garino, the other night at a a dinner, and he was a concert promoter, he was a record exec before he became a manager, you know. Um, how did you convince the band that you were the guy, being as young as you are, although I guess if they're 15 and 16, you probably look like an old fuck there, Joey.
1: True, yeah, I think um, I was probably, you know, 21, 22. Grizzly um, old
0: veteran of 21.
1: Yeah, Grizzly old veteran. Um, you know, really it was, it, it was just... You know, I think the way I, I sold myself w- was, um, look, I had I some question. experience in the music industry. I had a, a handful of internships. I had friends who were doing it. Um, I knew some, some people, so I had a general idea and kind of strategy of what I wanted to do with them and how I wanted to get their music exposed. Um, and then I also said, like, look, I, I might not, you know, be as uh, experienced or as old as some of these other guys, but I, I will work harder, you know, than the guys who've been doing it for, for 20 years. So, I mean, that's just what it was at the end of the day. It's, it was just a lot of hustle um, and, and putting out a strategy for, you know, every single release we put out and really, you know, making sure we executed on it. And, you know, we were sending hundreds and hundreds of emails every time we put out a track and just kind of like built momentum. I want
0: to talk, talk to you about that. You, you, you mentioned some funny some things here that I listen to, right? You know, you were the kind of guy that admitted, I may not know everything, but I'm gonna work hard, right? So many of the young folks I meet, and this is not meant to be a knock, it's a, it's a positive criticism here, um, are afraid to say what they don't know, right? And just talking to you today reminds me of a conversation I had two, or three years ago with a young manager named Nicky Berger, who I, you and I talked about, had a similar story. And the thing that was striking about him, this thing that's striking about the great young managers from my perspective is their willingness to say, I don't know, follow very quickly, but I'm going to figure it out or I'm going to work harder. So kudos to you for that, Mr. Papootsis. Um uh, Let me ask you this. When you were out there trying to figure this whole business out, right, do you have peers? Did you have people in Chicago that you could talk to and compare notes just to sit there and, and kind of find your way around in the dark of the music business?
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, I had some you know, fellow music managers at, at Syracuse, guys who were, you know, had a, their own clients that were, you know, becoming successful and, and playing music festivals and this and that. So started with those guys and just asking, hey, how do you, you know, release a song for free on the Internet? How, how do you drive traffic to your, to your band's page? And how do you grow social accounts? Um, and that was really, you know, my focus early on was, was not to try to book the band on 20 different shows. It was to try to get a million hits on a song. And um, I think that strategy is what, what kind of put us, put us ahead. It's the interesting
0: part about, from my perspective, I was always a rock guy, right? And uh, so, which was a little bit different, Pat. The thing that's striking to me about the, the EDM world and, and you becoming an entrepreneur, that whole world seems so you know, entrepreneurial, right? And that people can get in business and get a long way DIY. And uh, I sometimes think I missed, I wish I could have come back, you know, 30 years earlier or later, one of the two. Um, You mentioned, though, that you didn't book the band in concerts and so forth. Uh, That, I think, is an interesting decision because the live business is becoming a bigger part of your world, I suspect, these days, right? When you're not booking a band and having them play live gigs um, what are you know you got them on the blogs and all of those guys kind of, what other things did you do to help expose the band I think you and I had talked about there were some licensing opportunities along the way um, things that uh, are, are other ways beyond just airplay to get a band uh, or get a group above the radar talk about some of those things
1: sure I mean you know to dive into it um, there's just great. Site called Hype Machine, hypem.com, and Hype M aggregates you know 800 and, and something blogs on the internet. Uh, it creates kind of like a, a top 10 list of what's buzzing. And if, if the only way to get into the Hype Machine system, it, it's you know f- for those who haven't heard of Hype Machine, it's kind of like a Reddit for music. You have to be posted by one of the 800 something Hype Machine blogs. Um, and if you go number one on Hype Machine, it literally drives probably a quarter million. You know, hits to your song overnight. So that was a that was a big a big thing for us was um, you know making Google spreadsheets of as many hype end blogs we as we could find and and emailing everyone and sending out personal messages of you know hey um, I see you post this stuff um, here's this song I think it fits really well with your site any support would be appreciated and you know you you, you cast uh, enough hooks and and you get a couple bites so. You know we were sending out hundreds and hundreds of emails every time we released a track and you know we'd get five people to post the one song and then ten people to post the next and it just kind of creates a snowball effect um, so that was a that was a big thing I mean we we certainly did you know along the way um, play a music festival here or there and network with some promoters that was great um, you know, but it was it was really the hype machine thing, and then also finding other larger artists to support the song and, and repost, and just asking politely, and you know. You know, it's funny you to say walk. again.
0: Not to interrupt, but again, I'm just you know, you have to pardon the shitty grin on thin, grin on my face, folks, because what's fun for me is you find out that with people that are winning in the music business, um, doesn't matter whether they're 26 or 61. Um, you do your homework, my friend. It sounds like. Um, It sounds like you shed the nose pretty quickly looking for yeses, which is key in this music business. But the thing I liked most about what you're talking about is the personal messages, that personal touch, particularly in today's world of auto this and auto responders and auto fucking phone calls and auto the fuck of everything, right? The personal touch has gone away, but not in the music business with the successful folks. The successful ones, the successful artists, you can say what you will about Taylor Swift, wonderful personal touch with her fans. And that's something, folks out there, if you're watching today, um, don't underestimate the power of a, just a quick note to thank you for listening to my band, booking my band or whatever. I want to talk a little bit more about how you got this band. This I wrote down one of your quotes the other day, from zero to buzz, and I, I love quote I'm gonna steal that from you officially Joey with everybody watching zero to buzz um, you know getting a great manager is is a big part of successful acts I can't think of a, a really big act that didn't have a terrific manager along the way but it's when you're putting together a professional team, it takes more than just a manager. You're you're gonna be a lawyer someday. I presume you won't be doing the band's legal work officially. But building out that professional team, your lawyer, and, and in the case of Lewis the Child, now when I look at all these sold-out tour dates and well, I want to talk a little bit about Lollapalooza, getting a great agent mm-hmm. on your team, for certainly for rock bands, but I suspect it's true as well in, in the electronic world, is a huge Piece of the puzzle. Um, talk about how you got an agent who got you on Lollapalooza, who's now presiding over what appears to me to be a sold-out tour of all of America, best I can tell. Take it away, Mr. Papuzas.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was kind of my strategy from the beginning. Was, you know, I'm not going to focus on shows because I want a really great a- agent to find us and and for him to do the shows. Um, so, you know, it was really just kind of growing the, the presence online and, you know, putting out songs that had millions and millions of hits. And then the agents came calling, and, and we were fortunate enough um, to work with the Windish agency. You know, Tom, Tom Windish, founder of the, the agency, is a Chicago guy and, you know, someone I've always looked up to. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we it was important for us to pick an agency that, that well, we fit we felt that our brand fit really well. So, you know, if you look at what Windish is doing on the electronic side with Flume and, and Major Laser and Odessa, I mean those are, you know, three of what I would say of the are the, you know, hottest electronic acts in the space right now. So we felt like our brand, you know, fit well there and, and we wanted to kind of follow the same template on the live side as what some of these other guys are doing on their agency. So we felt like we, we really, you know, have a couldn't you know, have a better agent with Jay Moss, and uh, and he's given us some really great opportunities.
0: Well, you know, Windish, I I forgot that Windish was from the Windy City, and uh, we had him on the show, folks. We'll post some links when we're done because I know that some of your folks here are, are watching this show for the first time, uh, and uh, they seem to be a quiet bunch, all you folks out there. You know, they have obviously not they didn't see the first part. Maybe I didn't get it on our set. You don't ask, you don't get. Everybody's just going to be a bystander. You know, it makes it easier for guys like you, Joey, when everybody else just wants to be on the sideline clapping. Great. Uh, Hopefully we'll get some questions out there. Tom Wendish, good man. We'll check out his interview here uh, on uh, Red Man Live. It's good stuff. Um, Let me see what else I have on here. Um, You know, Joey, people ask me all the time, um, so, Steve, what does a a manager do? Describe what a manager does. And... uh, I'm always interested to hear what other managers, uh, uh, how they would describe the gig. You're still young and youthful. I I see lots of hair on your head, Joey, and no lines in your forehead. Um, So talk to me. Tell the folks, or tell me, how would you describe the role of a manager? Uh, We're breaking up here. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Joey, don't go away. You there? Uh Uh-oh. Did we lose Joey? Oh God, all right, let's see. Yeah, I can. Oh, there you are, you're back again, sorry. Yeah. Did you hear all that? We kind of got, somehow the connection I'm went here. loopy I, there.
1: I think we're good, yeah, yeah. I I missed it. Uh, it, it got glitchy, but, but you're back now, so if you could just repeat the question. All right,
0: well, here's what I was saying, is that one of the questions that I get asked frequently when I'm out with buddies or you know, anywhere, they ask me, so what is it a manager does? Um, and there, there's no real job description for it, so whenever I meet a young manager, I'm always interested to hear how they would describe what it is a manager does. So I'll ask you the question I've been asked a million times, so Joey, what does a manager do? And the connection is going away again. Oh, God, Skype. We were doing so well. I wonder if folks can hear. Can you hear us, folks? Are, you know, Joey's? I think he's still here. He's just going to go in. OK. All right, the video's turned off. OK, back again. He's going to be back here in a second. I think I have a picture of Joey here. You there, Joe? OK, I'm going to call Joey up. All right, video call. Sorry, folks. Technology, you know, it's great when it works. It's like a flat tire on an expensive car when it doesn't. pisses you off big time. All right. Um, OK, we got some questions. OK, let's see if we got Joey here. Joey, you back? I'm back. All right, I, I don't have your mug shot, but if you we're going to let you. Uh, there he is. God, it's going away again. You got me? There you are. Yeah, we were doing so well here, uh, but now we're back. Okay, so do you get that? Describe for me what it is a manager does. If people hear that question one more time, they're gonna throw a fucking shoe through the, through the computer.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll get right into it. So, what does a manager do? Um, well, I mean, I think you know the short answer is is you're the guy that that makes it happen. I mean, I think in my case, um, I'm the guy responsible for putting the team around the band. Um, for lining up the booking agent, getting the attorney on board, um, you know, working with the accountant, working with the tour manager, um, getting photographers in place. So it's really first and foremost about you know assembling the team and and then managing the team. And I like to think of managers as kind of like the point guard on the basketball team. You're the guy responsible for kind of connecting all the different players. Um, you know, in my case, I do a lot of, I still do a lot of PR for the band. I, I kind of, that's something that I think separates me from other managers is, is I, you know, have, have been kind of you know, like a publicist for the band from day one and, and really focused on trying to get their music exposed. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's everything from travel logistics and keeping a calendar to assembling a team to negotiating, you know, deal points. Um, it, it's really a, a pretty expansive role, and it's it's difficult to kind of go into everything that that we do as as managers, and uh, you know, in a few minutes.
0: Yeah, My, I, you left out some of the things that I always think about. You know, the, you know, the cop, the dad, the psychiatrist. You know, the garbage man. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, the the guy behind the elephants at the circus. You know. Is, cleaning up the poop, and everybody goes, why do you do that? And you go, because I'm in fucking show business. Uh, anyway, I saw a great uh, question on here on the chat board. This thing is running, and I finally popped in here. But it's a question I was going to ask, so I'll ask it. It's a gentleman by the name of... Or- Connor Knackley says, Joey, do you think SoundCloud presence is still a worthwhile focus for up-and-coming EDM acts in a world with HYPEM and actual music data aggregation? God, I hate when people talk science and music. Uh, Do you see SoundCloud's platform changing to cater toward their initial community bases? Is it worth it in its current state to continue expenses and efforts to promote on SoundCloud and play the curator repost game? Hope all is well. Boy, Connor, I bet you're an attorney. That that's, long that's a great
1: question. Sorry. That's a great question. Okay, fire away. Um, Sorry, I'm just picking
0: on you a little bit, Connor. Take it away, Joey.
1: Sure. So, yeah, it's a little genre-specific, but um, I love the question, so thanks thanks for chiming in, Connor. Um, but, you know, the shorter, short answer is is I do absolutely think it's, it's still a critical platform for electronic music. Um, you know, you talk about it, it being with Hype Machine and this and that. Well, Hype Machine really to my knowledge, just aggregate SoundCloud links. So, if you're doing like a Spotify only release, it's difficult to get in the hype machine system. Um, So, I think it's critical for the blog world. I also think there's a unique thing to SoundCloud um, compared to other, you know, sound music streaming services and that artists can repost other people's music, right? So, you know, Spotify doesn't have a function like that. Um, So, you know, in addition to like sending out to a bunch of different blogs, when we put out a song, we're also tagging a lot of our artist friends and asking for them to support it on the platform. And, you know, being able to upload a song, you know, the day you make it to SoundCloud and reach a million people is still something that's completely unique for the platform. It doesn't really exist on Spotify and iTunes. These are, the Spotify and iTunes are platforms where you need to give a song lead time, you know, sometimes several weeks before... From when you make the song, that you put it out, so SoundCloud still has that instant feel, um, and I think it's it's real important. Now, SoundCloud, you know, it's been getting some hate recently in the community because they're implementing a lot of different new ad platforms and tiers, and really, I think that boils down to the the platform is is trying to find ways to you know become profitable, and uh, so I, I totally respect them for that. I, I have you know some contacts at SoundCloud, and they're very kind of responsive to feedback. And I think that, you know, for us, we, we found a lot of success, um, you know, looking at it as a a platform that maybe we're not monetizing on all our tracks on. Um, but that's kind of the beauty of it is like putting up a remix and having no ads and no friction and, and just letting it, you know, get a million plays and, and doing it for, uh, you know, for the purposes of exposure. Let me ask you a
0: question that kind of dovetails with it, and uh, it's another thing that that comes up all the time. You you mentioned Spotify for a minute, and let's throw in iTunes and, you know, all the streaming services out there. So often I'll get artists that tell me, I'm not gonna put it on Spotify, I'm not gonna put it here because I'm getting fucked by those people and so forth and so on. if I had to ask you, you're a young guy in the business, you know, with regard to streaming services and getting heard. Um, if I ask you what the greater risk was, getting screwed by a record label or Spotify or SoundCloud or not being heard at all, what would you say, Joey?
1: I mean, you know, it's, a, it's always, a, I think, a case-by-case case basis. Um, if, if you upload you know, are you talking about like uploading infringing material? Basically? No, not talking
0: about infringing material, I'm talking about artists that make their own music, original music, right, and then mm-hmm. start limiting the places they, they put it out there. I understand it from some of the old guys, you know, the Beatles, sure. and the, because they came from a different world. But with artists that are just starting today, I find so many artists are worried about getting screwed before they ever get hurt that it, it just puts them in a bad place. And so I'm always interested when I talk to young folks like yourself to get a perspective of somebody who grew up in the digital age and didn't have any of the same baggage that maybe Pink Floyd or, or you know, sure. the Stones or the Beatles or some of the acts I listened to.
1: Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so like in our case, um, I, I'm a fan of, of just having the music on every platform. You know, I, I'm not... As big of a fan as maybe doing an exclusive release on a certain platform, because I think that you know Spotify, Apple Music, tidal, iTunes, like there's you know different people use different platforms exclusively. um, So why would you kind of limit your reach and and segment you know an entire audience out of uh, potentially hearing your song? So yeah, I'm I'm definitely a proponent of just letting the song get out everywhere. You know, having it on all the different mediums um, and distribution so, uh, distribution you know services and uh, and and using all the streaming platforms as opposed to maybe doing you know exclusive here or, or something like that. Yeah,
0: I think it's the right attitude. And as bands get bigger, things change for everybody. There's a couple other sure. questions I saw in the uh, in the in the comments here as I'm getting used to Facebook Live I see these comments only go four at a time on my screen so there was a there was a question here from one of our longtime members a manager label person himself Don Borza he goes wants to know how much effort does Joey put into the videos for the band or not the visuals you know you got the great music people want my first question is what do they look like right
1: (laughs) how do you get involved with the visuals Joey sure I mean I think for our band specifically, there's like two different video aspects. Um, one is our music videos that you know we've worked with labels to produce, and then the other is the visuals that you know go up on the LED walls at our performances. I mean, we spend a lot of time and energy and, and resources into creating custom animated content for our live sets that you know kind of coincides with the music being played. Um, so. On the live side, I'm, I'm pretty heavily involved in, in kind of working with the band to give direction to the animators to make the content for our LED screens, but um, when it comes to, you know, the music videos, I'm, I'm more of kind of like an overseer. Um, I'll, I'll review treatments, send those music video treatments to the band, have a discussion with them, you know, pick a treatment out, and then we kind of, you know, trust the the director and the producer of the video to to execute it. And and I've, you know, I'm not a music video director. I'm not a a video producer. I don't pretend to be one. So I just, you know, kind of let the the experts do their thing and, and help the band try to pick out a, a treatment that makes sense. Joey,
0: I just I just did I mention how much I've enjoyed talking to you, man. I just love your attitude. You know, uh, so many people in the business. Um, are self-professed experts on everything, and uh, again, I find that the great managers had a good sense of the biggest part of the picture, and were quite content to go out and hire some really good people, and and got comfortable with. It. I hired a really good person, like a director, and let them direct. So kudos to you and. Good advice for all you folks out there watching. I saw another couple of questions uh, that coming in uh, that I wanted to ask about. Um, there was a question earlier. Somebody asked about how polished, quote unquote, was the music. Sorry, I didn't get your name. Um, when you were when you were putting it out.
1: Sure. I mean, I think it it evolved over time a little bit. I mean, it, it if you look at what we're putting out now, the songs they're they're very polished. You know. Um, we go back, we revise things, we talk things over, um, the guys, you know, the Lewis Chaw guys really kind of mix and master everything themselves, but it's certainly, you know, back and forth about, um, hey, maybe try this thing or, or that thing, or having a conversation with the featured, you know, vocalist or whatever. Um, but if you go back to like our early stuff, you know, there's probably 20 remixes that you can't find on SoundCloud right now, um... That were very instrumental in helping us like build our fan base and and that stuff was definitely a little little more kind of you know raw and, and gritty and uh, and you know di- we just got the track done and and put it out so I'd say it, it evolved over time um, especially getting into our original content but you know I think when you're when you're talking about putting out a free remix um, that's just you're gonna give away downloads and try to grow a following. You know, just make sure it's a good track and that people are into it and, and don't worry about, you know, spending three months perfecting a track that's going to be given away for free. So,
0: Good advice there, folks. Can I ask an insider question? I mean, when your guys were starting, were they producing most of this stuff? Was it the bedroom producer scenario? You're not spending tons of money. It's a great idea. It's a, it's a triumph, I'd say, of imagination
1: over budget. Fair comment? Sure. I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, we, you know, started working out of studios or something that's, um, probably, I mean, it's, it's more recent for us, um, than maybe other groups. I mean, I would say when, when we, before we were putting out original content, it was definitely like, um, the guys were working out of, you know, like an office in one of their places, um, with monitors and a keyboard. But I think that's just kind of typical of the genre more than like typical of our, our band, because, you know, when you look at electronic music, you really just need you know pair of monitors and a MIDI keyboard, and and you can make tracks. Um, so we kind of started off as bedroom producers, quote unquote, and then as the band's evolved and, and gotten bigger, um, we've we've really been you know using studios, writing sessions, working with you know all different you know artists and. Um, and, and kind of taking a more, you know, pro-studio approach to things. Well, it's, it's all part of the process, folks. As you move further up yeah. the food chain,
0: uh, you get a better seat at the table. Uh, You're yeah. playing nicer car or driving nicer cars, playing nicer, staying in nicer hotels and the whole like, and it's uh, part of your reward for getting it right here. This, we had another question in here. Actually, it wasn't a question. It was a review from Connor Knackley about you. He said, Joey, laying down the real knowledge. Folks, feel free. put in your reviews in there but be gentle (laughs) okay I'm very sensitive Um, let's see we got I don't want to keep you all night here Joey Um, let's see what else I want to talk a little bit about um, this idea of networking a little bit you know there's quite a scene going on down there in Chicago Uh, one of my favorites Chance the Rapper who I bought one of his t-shirts you know uh, a while back. Do you hang with those folks? Do you talk, do uh, you guys uh, compare notes from time to time now that you're having some success versus just doing homework?
1: Sure. I mean, I, I know Chance's manager, Pat, um, pretty well. He's a great guy, you know, great team. I mean, I, I couldn't be more proud of all the success those guys have brought in and, and their approach to everything is just super, you know, professional and uh, and they they totally deserve it. Um, I can't say I know, you know, Chance personally. Um, I've, I've maybe met him in passing mm-hmm. one or two times. But, um, yeah, I, I absolutely, I bounce ideas off of, of, you know, Pat all the time, just like I do, you know, with any other manager that I'm friends with. It's just kind of part of the process is, you know, developing friends, you know, college, friends in the in the management side and, and bouncing ideas off them. Because, you know, if you look at Chance specifically, like Pat has been – you know, I, I don't even know what, what tour they're on this fall, uh, but he's done it several times. And, and if you look at my band, Lewis Child, this is our first time kind of driving from city to city um, in a Sprinter van with production gear in the back. So you know, it's always, it's always helpful to, to bounce ideas off someone who's done it Well, I'll say
0: this, um, and and the Cubs are our most recent evidence. There's something going on there in the Windy City. There's a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of folks that are saying, fuck it, I'm doing it my way. And what I love about what you guys do and what I love about Chance the Rapper is how far these folks have gotten outside the mainstream of the business. It's a much better, kinder, gentler version of what just happened in our election here, where people are just saying, hey, we're doing it our way. And and some things are happening that if you'd asked me five, ten years ago, I would have said that's just not fucking possible. Um, So it's it's good to see. Uh, I want to end up on the tour because I love touring. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed yet, uh, Joey. You play the gig, you get paid get a record deal you get paid sure. twice a year even if you exactly. know Marty Bandier at Sony ATV how many times do you get paid a year Joey <laughs>
1: twice that's a year twice a year okay
0: that's four sure. checks folks Joey yeah. uh, I like getting those checks every night let's talk about the Touring you got a great agent you've built some buzz yep. online uh, you've had some hits you know there's chain smoker things one of your guys wrote that song I mean, you're out there um, First tour, you say, for the guys across America, usually that's an eye-opener because you're playing your first tour to nobody. You're playing to the bartender and three surly freaking waitresses that don't have anybody to serve a drink to. You guys are doing a sold-out tour. Um, Talk about how you selected the venues. I think that's one of the most important elements. Talk about how you set the ticket price to those events, and then talk a little bit about the show you deliver once those folks get there, and I'm going to come and see your boys in action
1: on, yeah, uh, was it December
0: 19th out here, or 9th or something? I got it in the calendar.
1: Yeah, it's December 9th and 10th. We have uh, two sold-out shows at the Fonda. Um, going to be gonna be some great ones. But, yeah, to talk kind of general touring strategy, um, this is something I'm trying to, you know, implement with my other artists also. Um, we started out, you know, if you look at, like, Lewis Child's kind of touring history, we started out just going, you know, support, support, support. And we were, we were really fortunate to get on tours with Maddion and the Chainsmokers and um, Big Gigantic last spring. And so these were all you know, acts that had really big, hard-ticket followings. They were drawing you know, thousands of people um, whenever they came to town. And, and so my guys were fortunate to get opportunities and ride the bus you know, with these really big rock stars and kind of like learn their work ethic and, and what they're putting in the shows um and and so it was support 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 really all of last year and then we had this summer where we just played as many music festivals as possible um so you know i was the tour manager quote unquote for the guys this summer learned a whole lot doing that um and so i just you know we we were doing like sometimes three four festivals a week going fly in fly out to everyone and then We used kind of that festival buzz and and hoped that it would translate into people wanting to come out to our shows in major markets. And we kind of intentionally went into rooms where we felt confident that we'd get a sellout. Um, So, you know, our agent did a great job and kind of like picking, giving us a a rough framework of this is what I wanna do, this is why I wanna do these rooms. And I think you're gonna sell out. You know, I think we're gonna have a good shot if, if the music's buzzing to sell, you know, sell out a lot of these rooms. So we um we announced the tour, um tickets started flying, you know, I think all but maybe two rooms are sold out and and those will be sold out before the show. So the whole fall tour is, you know, on pace um to sell out. And then we just announced a new spring tour where we're going into kind of, you know, uh a different tier of markets and then we're going to hit the festival circuit again in 2017. Folks, that right there, if you're
0: wondering how to build a touring strategy, is how you do it. Joe, you know, actually, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you and thinking that, really, you're just a grisly old veteran trapped in a much newer body. Uh, uh, just, that's just, that's, that's... that's Textbook stuff, folks. Support, support, support. Get a headline tour, play the right venues, sell them out, right ticket price, move up the chain, play the festivals. That's how you do it. Take some patience, and it takes a little heat. Um, but you've got it going on there, my friend. Um, one final question here uh, from Ben Moore. I'm, folks, I'm sorry we're not going to get to all these. This is our very first time um, uh, doing it on Facebook Live. so. Um, and I'm, so, I'm sorry, it's not quite, I'm, I'm having trouble following all the questions. Anyway, there was a question from Ben Moore, a question that comes up all the time. You're just slightly different, Tate, because you have a publicity mindset. But here's the question. If a band or a manager, Joe, is on a small budget, what's more important, hiring a publicist or creating great video content, specifically music videos? Thoughts? Um, you didn't pay for a publicist, so you might be biased. So try to be objective yeah. here,
1: Joe. I would say, you know, if it's the right publicist, I think, if you're talking about a band that has, you know, very small following, if it's the right publicist, I think the the better first step is to pay that publicist because, you know, you can spend money and make the best music video in the world, but if you don't have a fan base that's going to engage with that video, it's not going to do, you know, a whole lot to advance your career. So I think the move, you know, if you can find the right publicist, I mean, the first thing you need to do is is have some some traction and get, you know, the track burning a little bit. And usually you see music come out and then the video comes out six months later anyways. And it's my it's my opinion that you shouldn't really be making a music video unless you have a track that's doing well. So, you know, if people don't want to listen to the song without a video, they're probably, the video's probably not going to make them want to, you know, listen to the song. So, I mean, it, it might be different in some different genres, but my... Just kind of like knee-jerk, you know, reaction would be, you know, work with a publicist, get that track some exposure, um, and then if it, if you feel like it, it deserves a music video um, because there's a demand for it. Make a music video.
0: Uh, interesting to hear your comments on it because that's when I get asked all the time, and I typically tell people, you know. Um, you know, work on great songs, great visuals, because what I found, and, and maybe this is a difference in the times now, is that without some activity, without a great hook, without a great story, without something unique to talk about, you could hire the greatest publicists in the world, but they couldn't turn a turd into a diamond. And uh, the more you can load their gun, the faster and more on target they shoot. But the interesting thoughts. Joey, uh, I want, it's about 6 o'clock, uh, and uh, I don't want to keep you all now I want to thank you for taking the time to join us here today. I think it's so important that if you're trying to learn about the music business that you get a chance to meet the people that are doing it. It's easy to dream about doing something big in the music business, a lot tougher and dirtier to actually make it happen. And so I've always loved talking to the doers and I'm stoked to see that we're turning over the music businesses to uh, some grisly young veterans with much newer suits. So anyway, Joey, thank you for joining us. Any final thoughts, any advice
1: you might give? to uh, the next Joey Paputzis, Sure, I mean, you know, I guess my, my advice would be don't, you know, don't wait for someone to uh, hand you an opportunity, um, you know, make it happen for yourself. I mean, I, I really, you know, just just saw saw an opportunity and, and hustled and worked and, uh, you know, built something out of nothing and, and I don't, you know, anyone watching you know, to to get started as an artist manager, you need a laptop and a cell phone. That's about it. So. Um, and Joey I'll left be, out balls of steel. Yeah, I've been <sighs> managing acts out of the law school library, um, and you can do the same. So I I think you know it's just just get get going. And get going. I think even if you want to work at you know a big talent agency or for a record label, like if you start your own blog or, um, you know, manage an act. I mean those people will take notice of that and you'll be more inclined to, you know, get called back for the interview if, you, if you're showing kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. So just don't wait, you know, get out there and, and start making it happen. Don't wait. It's the greatest advice in the world. You know, stop dreaming, start doing, is what I
0: like to yeah. say. Joey, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today uh, and look forward to uh, seeing you again. As I mentioned, you got a place to throw down your cell phone, put your feet up when you're in town here at the Rennie, uh, the Casa yes. de Rennes. All right, uh, folks. Um, that's our show for tonight. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and, uh, and pardon uh, the faux pas in the beginning here, technology, right? You can get it all right and practice a million times, and the shit don't work. Um, all right, folks, uh, that's it. My name is, uh, let me tell you who I am. My name is Steve Rennie. I'm the Ren Man. This little program is called Ren Man Live, and I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope you can stay in touch with us on our YouTube channel, even though I've been banned. <laughs> Okay, but I'll forgive him for that was my fault. Uh, Right here on Facebook, you know where to find us on our Twitter account. Let me give you that one before we go here. I need to shorten those up. Uh, On Twitter, you can grab grab us at twitter.com, RenmanMB. That's uh, where you can find us. Keep up on the goings on. So until we meet again, uh, stop dreaming, folks. Stop doing, start doing, I should say. When you get a chance to ask some questions, ask them, and take some of the fine advice from our friend Mr. Joey Papusa today. Folks, that's it. I'm out of here. Take care, and uh, we'll see you again soon.